Welcome back for episode 55 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on October 12th, 2016 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the chat here. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us. This is your host, Blue Crew 86 Alongside me, we have the man who it has been said has the voice of a flower, Justin Sane 0516. So I hear that you had a, uh, a good run at trials this weekend. Did you get anything? Um- Oh, Ermagerd. Best run ever. Actually got to eight wins. I've never seen eight yellow dots on a card before. Um, big shout out to to Wolfie from my clan and uh, Danny Boy from Team Not So Sweaty, Rednecks Clan, for, for carrying me through kicking and screaming. Got some great drops. <laughs> no, yeah, it's big backpack, right? That's what you need. That's it's a baby Bjorn. It's a rear facing baby Bjorn. <laughs> it's not a backpack. Let's let's okay. get real. All right, all right. <laughs> well, you'll notice Mel is not with us this week. Uh, she is actually a bit under the weather, so we're hoping that she gets some rest and that we'll get to chat with her next week. So that's you know, Mel, get some sleep. We'll talk to you next week. The top. <laughs> The topic of today's chat is going to be an update to the story of the Lords of Iron, something we touched on way back in episode 18. Before we get into that, however, I did want to run through some quick notes. In our last chat, we took a look at the lore of Siva. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out www.focusfirechat.com for archives of all our previous chats, as well as links to all our various other pages. If you don't mind, please give us some feedback on iTunes to let us know how we're doing as well. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Wednesday at around 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcasts on the Guardian Radio Network found at theguardiansofdestiny.com. Our next chat's going to be a discussion on the new information that we have pertaining to the name of Dredgen and that hand cannon that everyone just loves to hate, Thorn. With that, let's go ahead and dive into the new information that we have on the Lords and Ladies of Iron. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think we're I think we're just gonna dive straight into the grimoire. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we like I said, we we kind of we laid out some of our earlier theories in episode eighteen, and you know, obviously, as with most theories, some of them got disproven, some of them kind of got ignored, and. I, I think a few actually did get proven, um, which was uh, almost as big of a surprise for me as anything. But, you know, hey, yay, you know, clock, broken clocks, right? Never, you know, twice. But, yeah, I think we should just dive right in. So we're not we're not going to read. I don't think we should read any of the grimoire that we had really before. Nah, I, think we're good. I think we have. We can I think reference we, it. Yeah. I think we have enough of a selection just from Rise of Iron, sim- simply because, you know, it was mostly about the lords and the ladies. Who are and the actually, ladies. And the ladies. Okay. So I've got, actually, uh, Ghost Fragment Mistress 3. 
Um, he always survives. Helmet in one hand and torch in the other. Saladin Forge marches through the snow. He can sense the wolves emerge around him. Only three of them come into view, but this group has followed him on his patrols since the devils raided the Plaguelands. He has given up dissuading them. They're defending their territory, and Saladin can relate to that, but they will not last long. Nothing does. Not the Golden Age, not the colony ships, not the impenetrable walls of the Cosmodrome, not the Iron Lords. He discards his torch and glances up to see a familiar glow reaching out from the dark. He smirks. A horde of devil splicers returns his stare from the wreckage of the wall ahead. The splicers are doomed, just as the Iron Lords were, when he and his allies opened that vault. As Fallen continue to pour from the gap in the wall, they remind him of his friends in their final moment. A crimson pulse beats in place of their hearts. Siva. He puts his helmet on as an iron battle axe forms in his hand, the air around him bursting into flame. The first wave of dregs approaches. Saladin breaks into a charge, swinging the axe to bear as he smashes into into a storm of steel and weapons fire. As his axe bites again and again, Scory's iron song haunts him. He calls upon Radagast's strength, Perun's sense of purpose, Teemer's questions, Felwinter's cynicism, Silmar's presence, and Gellion's reasoning. Yolder's smile. He pounds the last splicer priest like a burning hammer, blasting a crater into the snow and gravel. Frozen dirt rains down on the spent shelves and the mounds of splicer corpses that surround him. The warlocks of the city have described meditation to him. He imagines it feels like this. He always survives when nothing else does. Lord Saladin, what's your status? Calls Shiro 4 through his audio feed. Just taking a walk, he says, staring at the 15-foot divide he broke in the earth. He had to meet Siva again one last time. I've analyzed the Clovis Bray data. Teemer always said that Clovis Bray was the key. Can you break the splicer's hold over Siva? How different would things be had Saladin listened? Theoretically, temporarily, would his friend still live? Would he? It might be enough. Perhaps our guardian has turned the tide. I'll be there shortly. He sees the wolves have formed up around him, eight of them. He always survives. So, real quick, in case anyone missed the intro trailer for Rise of Iron, this, oh. is, this is basically it. Um, this is just you are seeing that trailer from the perspective of Saladhead. Um, Saladin, I guess we should officially call him that. He, he apparently really doesn't like nicknames really doesn't like nicknames he shouldn't have a name like lord salad hand (laughs) so i mean yeah and so this is this is really for for the purposes of this chat um i really wanted to focus on the the paragraph in which he speaks about pulling the memories of his former companions you know Radagast's strength, Perun's sense of purpose, Timur's questions, the cynicism of Felwinter, the persistence of Silamar, the reasoning of Gellion, and then, <clears throat> you know, Yolder's smile, which 
for those who haven't seen this card, Yolder is got her own paragraph all by herself because she was very, very special to Saladin. <laughs> which we yeah. will there's a there's a number of theories on that one, but yeah. um but and so I mean that's that's really kind of an intro to the primary Lords of Iron. Now I do want to point out that there was the if you have not already seen the round table that uh was a game informer had with the writers from Bungie. Um I really really strongly suggest that you go watch it because it has quite a bit quite a bit of little factoids about the Lords of Iron. Um especially about what kind of inspired them to write them the way they did for this DLC. And that was predominantly around the Arthurian legends. Uh, and they also confirmed with us that they were there were hundreds of Lords of Irons. Um, so it wasn't just nine. Uh, they also confirmed in that round. That was where we got the confirmation that the wolves and the lords are the same. Um, which was a theory that we had had back in episode 18 about exactly what the the dynamic for that was because at that time we only had the weapons that was really all we had and so we had always there was a there was a big group of people who thought that maybe the wolves and the lords that was the that was the breaking of the banner turns out it's not actually many of the wolves uh Bredemart and Deidreus especially we actually find out are very 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 faithful to the lords. Uh and so it it was a, it's an interesting confirmation for most of us that the wolves and the lords are the same. Uh and I know that a lot of people have been asking that as well. Uh other than that really the the point of this card other than pointing out that Saladin is still pretty pretty capable on his own. Um I would also point out that he can summon an axe of solar, which is not a hammer. It's a very very odd variation of that particular ability. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a unique manifestation of light. And I think it was probably deliberate. Oh, yeah. I think they probably didn't want it to feel like just a giant sunbreaker hammer, which it very easily could have. Um, right. And I think the 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 point that I was going to make with that one is that on the mark with uh, Thalor, you know, we always have Thalor's Maul, which, you know, we until Rise of Iron, we always were like, that's not a it's like the weirdest thing because it's a giant double headed axe. So if an Iron Lord could summon an axe instead of a hammer, that would make sense because his maul mm-hmm. would be a hammer or would be the axe that he would summon yeah. instead of the hammer. So, I mean, yeah. to me, to me, that's how I read it is like it's not necessarily a different class or subclass. It's just a different very. I mean, and we've talked about using the light as a ritual, and if you change that ritual, you change the manifestation of the the super energy that you for, put forth. Mm-hmm. So maybe the Iron Lords just... I mean, we knew... Was it Teemer who experimented with using the light in different and dangerous ways? So yeah. it's not the first time that we've heard that the these these guys 
these guys tried to push the envelope on what they could and couldn't do with the light. Yeah. And I, I don't want to get too far off in the weeds in this, um, on this one, but just the repeated, the repeated, uh, mentions of he always survives. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminded me of, you remember the, the ghost fragment Rasputin mystery card from a red space before victory. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Everything died, but I survived and I learned from it. Uh, it's it's it repeatedly goes on. Everything dies, but I survive. That's what kind of made me think of. But that's kind of out that, there. and you know the whole the whole presentation of Saladin is that he's he's you know he's he's in a vigil. He's he's holding a vigil for his companions, and he remembers he's the you know the unbent tree or the um the unbent tree. You know is the weapon that is called for his, you know, in his memory in the new, the new weapon table, uh, the Saladin's vigil is the other weapon, you know, and it's all about Saladin shouldering the memories. And, you know, he's always been in the new cards. He's presented as always being the person who doesn't get carried away and doesn't get emotional and just, you know, puts his head down and walks through things. Um, you know, that was, and we'll, we'll get to it. Like the Radagast card is a really good explanation of Saladin. Like he's got the shoulder, he's, he's shouldering the weight of the memories of the world on his back. I, I think that, I mean, Saladin has always, always been the level headed figure. I get the feeling. So, and he also has a really hard head, which we'll get into a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you want to read the Iron Temple? Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, as as with a lot of DLCs with Destiny, we we have now been given a new social space. Uh, we, we had the Reef, and then, you know, obviously we had the Tower. And now we have the Iron Temple. And this, this Grimoire card is, is an excerpt from the Iron Declaration, which I really want to find out, written by Lord Silimar. And it says, and where and wherever we Iron Lords stake a claim worthy of battle, let us immortalize our victory with a temple, a beacon for all who walk the waste to follow, and let the truths of that battle live only within its crypts, kept sacred by an everlasting oath worthy of our light and sacrifice, so that our peace will never need know the horrors it faced, sealed in secrecy until the light dims to darkness forevermore. So this i mean just logic would would lead you to kind of ask the question what was the great battle of fail winter peak like yeah i well and well i don't know if i don't know if there was really a battle for fell winter because Fellwinter himself says that he gave the peak to the Iron Lords, and the only the only um, thing that the Lords had asked him was to take his throne down, which he you know he was like done. But I don't know if Fellwinter, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know if Fellwinter himself actually fought. <laughs> and we'll we'll get into that with the fell winter card because like it's kind of like when you're uh, when your girlfriend moves in and she's like oh that is so out of here 
like Phil Winter had his beanbag chair and he was super attached to it. And she was like, no, no. <laughs> that one. I don't care if it ties the room together. Phil Winter, it's gone. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I could totally see that. I could totally see that. So, but it also gives me the idea that there was, there were, there are more than one iron temples. Yeah, yeah, that's almost like towers, right? Yeah, I think they're strongholds. Like- I think they're you know <clears throat> bastions of against which the iron lords. Because I mean, and you know, again, we're going to get into this as we go through the the named cards following this one. But they're they were fighting a war. And these were fortresses against which they could, you know, they could hole up and they could secure against the enemies that were at their gates. So I think that that is kind of the 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 idea that we should take when we look at the Iron Temple is that this is literally this is a fortress. This is literally a fortress that's built to withstand, you know, the attack of whatever enemy the Iron Lords were were. Uh, we're up against. So, and I mean, and again, we're going to, we'll, we'll see some more about that with, uh, especially with Silomar's card, but you know, so that's kind of the, the environment that we've been given, right? We, we kind of have the introduction of these Lords. We have been introduced to the iron temple and, you know, thankfully we got some really awesome cards for the primary Lords of iron. And Justin, you want to grab the, and these these are not in any specific order. These are actually pretty much in alphabetical order. So, yeah. So um, I've got Lady Ephrodite. In the tales of the Iron Lords, Lady Ephrodite was one of the most prominent characters. She once threw Saladin like a javelin into a fallen walker, a city favorite retold for centuries. How she met her end is less clear but the tales agree that Ephrodite had long ago died her final death until she returned. Now Ephrodite serves as the new Iron Banner representative while Lord Saladin devotes his attention to the Siva crisis. She urges guardians to see the Banner tournament as a chance to strengthen their light for fighting and for more metaphysical purposes. The Vanguard are also intrigued by Ephrodite's accounts of a non-military guardian community in the deep system. But Ephrodite, though happy to talk about the group's pacifist philosophies, refuses to disclose the settlement's location at present. Yeah, so Ephrodite for me was uh, that cutscene when she first showed up in the tower, or not the tower, sorry, Fell Winter's Peak. She is a lot more comical in her mannerisms <laughs> than I expected her to be. Like, she is sassy. and before i let blue take this one away has has no one else noticed that her epaulets i hope i said that correctly um are shaped exactly like kepri sting like the same part on kepri sting ho ho I don't know what that means, but yeah, yeah. I, I was wearing Kepri Sting and I went to see her and I was like, huh? What? <laughs> Wait, what? <clears throat> Wait a second. No, I, I was 
I was going to say there was there was an so I think it's interesting to me because um, there's there's kind of a mixed response to Ephrodite as a as a figure, and mm. I think that actually one of the fun conversations we had in in a chat was about her helmet, how she doesn't take her helmet off. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always, I've always kind of, kind of wondered about this, but here's, here's my personal theory. Um, We have quotes from Ephrodite about how a guardian can have scars that aren't healed, um, that a ghost can't heal. Uh, She speaks a lot about how she wears these scars proudly and, you know, she, she knows this. And then we also have two artifacts from before. We have Ephrodite's eye, which is a stone eye. So it's not necessarily her eye. I'm not saying that. But we also have mm-hmm. another hunter artifact called the parasitic optic. So, and if you look at this parasitic optic, it's a bit of a pulsating red color, kind of like Siva. And the quote on it is, listen, I don't know how it works. I just know that it works okay. No, I'm not worried. So I kind of, and I've, I've had this conversation with a couple people and every time I've had it, I've just kind of become more convinced that it's possible that this is what's going on, but I almost wouldn't be surprised if we have another Petra face, you know, where she's missing an eye or maybe both eyes. And it's because the parasitic optic quote is actually Ephrodite because we know that she was a Marks, she was a Marks woman she she was obsessed with being the best shot, the best sniper, you know, everything that was very, very marksmanship. And we have an item here that is a parasitic optic that is, I mean, it looks like it's built to enhance your optical nerve to a degree that would logically make you be a better marksman or markswoman. Yeah. In her case. So I'm almost tempted. And we also have a quote from her talking about how she has done thing that done things that she would not blame her ghost for abandoning her for. So there's there's a number just like little pieces that I think if you connect, you can you can connect the dots and kind of get into this situation where I could almost see Ephrodite as being someone who experimented with this parasitic optic and that that might be part of the reason why she doesn't take her helmet off is because her face is really screwed up from it. Yeah. I'm actually just picturing the Siva tracking in her. Right. I mean, yeah. Face, I mean, even, even that to a degree. Yeah. So, I mean, like I just a red hand mm-hmm. on her, on her face and head. Yeah. I can see that, but it also, totally it also, also it, no, go for it. Go for it. No, go ahead. I was, was going to say, it really bothers me that she carries a tack hammer. Like, just give me, give me story reason. That's it's, there. it's okay. Um, okay. Let me, let me say what I was going to say that I'm going to come back to that. Cause that was a big part. <laughs> that was a big part of the chat. Actually. Um, I was also going to point out that her helmet really is reminiscent of the St. 14 helmet, the, the Spartan, mm-hmm. the Spartan crest. I think that's really kind of a interesting design choice on her part, but okay. <laughs> the tack out the tack hammer. We know from Ephrodite that she is all about not being a warrior to a degree. 
Um, she she has a lot of quotes about how you can use light in new and new ways that are not just as a weapon. She has trans. I mean, if you if you want to think about it this way, she has transcended the black and white view that the Vanguard teaches the Guardians in that she doesn't view the light as a weapon only, but as a tool. Now, think about that for a minute and realize that that is why she doesn't carry guns. She doesn't carry weapons. She carries tools of a trade. The entire community that she comes from is a pacifist community. Right? You see what you see the yeah, so the yeah, entire the entire now and see this is this is the interesting juxtaposition though for me though here is that she's carrying no weapons but she's fully decked out in a warrior's garb and I think that's an interesting kind of a juxtaposition there is that she's she's completely no she's no offensive weapons but she's got defensive weapons or defensive garb all over she's wearing yeah, full body yeah. armor but she hasn't got any weapons no and you know that could just be you know she's she's well, in no her, she's in her iron she's in her iron banner gear because she is visiting the iron temple we don't know that what she wears in the deep space community mm-hmm. but we know that it's a non-military guardian emphasis there guardian community that's a point that guardians yet again have free will. You can choose not to fight, which which is really funny because that brings up an idea about the stranger who kind of poo-poos on people who don't take sides. Yeah. Yeah, and uh you know, it kind of makes me think Ulantan might be alive. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I was convinced until the this DLC that Effortate was dead. I was convinced that Scory, yeah. Scory was the one alive. And we'll get into Scory when we get to when we get yeah, to her. Card. And it was all oh, I get to do my favorite too. It was all kind of a toss up, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, wasn't I it? mean, well, uh, to a degree, it was. The re- and uh, I'll I'll we'll talk about it when we get to Scory. Scory Scory is right. one thing that I I actually really kind of have a problem with because there is a couple I there well there is one item that really kind of doesn't fit in the narrative that we've been given with the Lords of Iron, and we're, we're going to talk about that with Scory. But real quick, let's but, jump. No, go for it. Go for what. Yeah, I was going to say, but in the meantime, let's talk about Lady Yolder. Yolder! Um, okay, let me grab this one. Do you want to grab this uh, one? Yeah, I've already got it up. Okay, cool. Uh, at the west end of a deep valley stands a castle. It's crumbling stone walls patched with glossy sheets of metal and glass. The castle entrance is a wrought iron portcullis flanked by two motion-sensing turrets. In the valley below... Just out of the turret's range rests a golden gray transport ship. The symbol of the Iron Lord shines with an otherworldly glow on its folded wings. The Iron Lords have come to challenge Warlord Rance. Two sparrows skim lightly over the grass as they head toward the ship. 
The castle at their backs, Perun and Radagast dismount. They nod to each other wordlessly and apart. Perun walked up to the ship's gangplank and made straight for Yolder's room. She hit the door controls and stepped inside. I'm, I'm almost ready, Yolder said before Perun could speak. Yolder stood next to a chest full of weapons, armor and other gear. She flashed Perun a bright smile as she cinched the straps of her golden white curious. The corners of Perun's mouth twitched. I came to tell you Rience agreed to the single combat. Guess I don't need to. Yolder smiled. I figured he would. Your plans have a way of working out. Perun leaned against the doorframe. Saladin and Ephrodite both volunteered to be your second. Hmm. Yolder took a pair of gauntlets out of the chest and put them on. Saladin's better at staying calm under pressure. We need a second. It's because you're dead. No one will be calm. Right, Ephrodite. Then she fights better when she's angry. Yolder tightened the straps of her gauntlets, then made a fist. Hold this. She handed Perun a shield, golden and reflective as a mirror. Perun rolled her eyes, but held the shield up, front toward Yolder. Yolder took a small pot of black liquid and a thin brush out of the chest then stood in front of the shield and began lining her eye with coal. Who are they sending? Malig. Do you know that, or do you just know? Just know, Perun said. Rience will figure we'll send you, so how to respond? He thinks bigger is better, so Malig. Yolder smiled. Tell Rience he can send two. Otherwise, Yolder finished a line of coal with a flick of her wrist, leaving a sharp black wing at the corner of her eye. My battle paint will be for nothing. Perun chuckled dryly without smiling. Not the best tactical move. But it'd be more fun. Perun grunted. Yolder arched her brow. Her right eye half painted and looked over the shield rim at Perun. What are you thinking? Perun ran a hand through her close cropped hair. Don't know yet. Seems too easy. I were Rance, I'd be thinking about poison, neurojammers. Man like him with nothing to lose might even target your ghost. Perun. Yolder took the shield from Perun's arms and placed a gauntleted hand on Perun's shoulder. Her eyes flashed between the lines of black coal as she smiled. It's me. Perun sighed, then placed her hand over Yolder's. True. Yolder slung her shield across her back tucked her helmet under her arm, and hefted her enormous battle axe casually over one armored shoulder. In her full battle harness, she towered over Perun, the plates of her golden white armor gleaming in the dim light. All right, Yolder smiled. I'm ready. Ooh-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> Yolder, Yolder is a little bit... Arrogant. <laughs> well, so Yolder. I like it though. Yeah, Yolder. Yolder is um, described as bun. Described by Bungie as kind of a Lancelot figure in the in this entire story. Um, we also kind of have her her artifact. The memory of Yolder says, "If I am to die, let it be in battle with weapons in my hand and laughter in my heart." And so. She she's kind of this. She's a knight. She is a knight of 
the the Iron Banner. That is what she does. She is the the champion of the field, and she knows it. I mean, that's the thing is like the the thing about these these risen these guardians these lords and ladies. They're they're immortal as long as their ghosts are untouched. You know they they can't really die, and so yes, there's a bit of arrogance, but at the same time, it's it's deserved arrogance. It's not just there; it's it's confidence, and that's what Yolder. I just love the fact that her battle paint is makeup. Like, oh, and I, I've I always think, I think oh my gosh, yeah. it's just so great. I have always said that uh, that. <laughs> If arrogance is accurate, it's just self awareness. Mm-hmm. That's how I. That's how I live my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's uh, my girl Yelder. Yeah, and this is in, you know when I said earlier about Saladin being kind of a cool head. This is where we kind of get that sense is that Saladin is better at staying calm under pressure. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't have. Okay, I I have to I have to acknowledge Mystic in chat. Makeup has always been battle paint. I will I will give you guys that. That is that you ladies have have that. And battle paint has always been thank you, Justin. <laughs> so, that being corrected, I apologize. I was I was incorrect there. Um I was going to say this this is also where we see Saladin as being kind of the the cool head necessarily. He was a little bit more of a strate- strategic thinker instead of just like running in. And we also kind of get the sense that Ephrodite is, ex- is the exact opposite. Ephrodite's kind of a passionate, you know, person who gets who gets caught up in the the heat of the battle. I get the feeling that Yolder is kind of the same. And this is also where we get the idea that Perun is kind of kind of not really the mother figure but she kind of is she's kind of like the the guardian of these guardians she kind of makes sure that they don't get in over their heads if they can if she can help it you know do you, do you get that sense with her on this one yeah yeah she's kind of like okay <laughs> like you realize this is what's going to happen and do you think that's wise dear yeah <laughs> And I mean, and she's completely, she's like completely okay. I mean, she's, she's not okay, but she lets her, you know, she lets her do it. But at the same time, she definitely has that kind of a parent feel where it's like, you know, she's like, I don't know. So. Yeah. You have any, you have anything on, on this one? No. Uh, so this is, this is obviously, um, they're going to depose a uh a warlord mm-hmm. i can only i can only imagine this is at some point during the faction wars no uh this would this would actually be during the dark age so that i guess that's okay. that actually is a really good point um and we'll we'll see this especially with the radagast card um we definitely will see this in the radagast card this is all pretty much as with any timeline conversation with destiny it's kind of fluid but the understanding is Mm -hmm. is that this is kind of the dark ages before the city um this was this was well before the city was established this was so the the process here is that you know the collapse has happened uh the whatever event 
occurred to the traveler occurs ghosts are created and they go and they start creating these risen they they you know the name being risen from the dead and these risen don't really have any organization at this point and so they start you know just kind of doing what they want to do whatever that is and some of them are not the best people in the world and they form into basically loose groups called warlords and they start basically building feudal uh, kingdoms across the planet or across the areas that are, you know, is still inhabited. And basically they are starting to abuse their power because, you know, like I was just saying, they're immortal. They, they can't die or they can die, but it doesn't really stop them. They just, you know, you just get, get back up and you keep fighting. And so when you're put into a group of regular humans, it makes it pretty easy to control them. And a lot of these warlords started viewing themselves as being demigods and, you know, above the human population. And basically this goes on and, you know, goes on and on and on. It just keeps getting worse, you know, as any dystopian world, you can imagine this just keeps getting worse until finally some of these risen basically stand up and you're like, you know what? Screw this. This is not what we're here for. And they form the, the Lords of Iron. The Iron Banner is formed. And so these are the original group of those guardians who basically had enough of the abuse of the power that the traveler had given them. And for, you know, for a variety of different reasons, you know, and you'll, you'll start seeing that, you know, Fellwinter has a completely different reason than, than Teemer and, you know, Gellion has his own reason and Radagast has a, Radagast actually has a noble reason. And so these, these figures keep coming together and, this is where you get the sense of that Arthurian legend. You know, these are knights coming together to sit at a table, you know, <laughs> a round table, and you would get the idea, and defending the citizens of the realm from these, these warlords, these evil figures, who are trying to abuse them and, you know, step on them and, you know, do all that, do the stuff that they were doing. They just, they had enough and they were done and they wanted to build something that would last. And so that's where that's what the lords of iron were. They were the Arthurian mm-hmm. knights of this dystopian world in which they saw a glimmer of something better on the horizon and they wanted to chase it. Yeah, and I actually would like to add that um in the Arthurian legend there actually is a king Reance. Yes. Yes. Um, who was actually an enemy of Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think his most notable thing was he liked to make his robe out of the beards of conquered elven kings. Yes. So that's 12. a little, that's a little, that's a little gnarly, but so there is, there's times where things are coincidence and there's times when they're most definitely not. And the Arthurian tie in is Definitely not an accident. These things yeah. are very carefully placed. Yeah, Rience Rience was um he was the king of North Wales, Ireland. Um and we're we're gonna get into that a little bit later too, because there's another really broad tie-in to <laughs> the chat, they're talking about it right now. There's another broad tie-in to the King Arthur mythos, and that's the Holy Grail. 
the Holy Grail, which is in this story, in Destiny's story, is Siva. Siva is the Holy Grail for these knights. And we'll we'll talk, a, you know, we talked a little bit about it, obviously, last episode. And we'll probably, we're going to probably touch on it a little bit here as well. But real quick, let's jump to, do you have anything, or do you want me to jump to Perun? Yeah, why don't you uh, go okay. ahead and... Okay. All right, so Lady Perun. Perun stood at the top of a sloping, narrow path cut into a steep plateau. It was not yet dawn, and the valley below her was foggy and dark. Maybe he's not coming. This from a thin woman at Perun's side, the mayor of the crumbling, silvery ruins of the plateau behind them. We didn't want you wolves here. Lord Sagoth knows that. In answer, Perun pointed into the valley. A red light had appeared. The mayor let out a wail. Sagoth will kill us all, or worse, he'll leave us to the fallen. Perun shook her head. Not gonna happen. The mayor looked at Perun and the two titans standing on her other side. Then she turned and ran back into the village. The red lights were larger. Already the faint, choppy whine of repaired pikes filled their ears. Nine of them, said Saladin. Nine, nine hundred... They still got to come up the pass three at a time. She cracked her knuckles. Easy pickings. Radagast looked at her. The north and south roads are undefended. If they change course, they won't. How do you know? It's about making people afraid of Sagoth and of us. Seeing his goons coming away off, knowing he's coming for blood, the dread is part of the punishment. Anyway, he doesn't expect we'll still be here, so he takes the west road, because it's the most visible and the most direct. Radagast frowned. Then it's time to show Sagoth that his tyranny will end. Not just Sagoth, said Peru. She jerked a thumb toward the ruins behind her. Watchful faces poked out of windows and around tarps. We gotta show them. The three of them picked up large, rough-hewn metal shields. Behind their shields, each held a worn rifle, wrapped with cloth and chain mail. The pike riders' faces were now visible through the early morning gloom. A man in large, long red robes pulled his pike ahead as they screeched to halt. Well, 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 said Sagoth. The Iron Wolves. Cease your insults, Saladin barked. Perun shot him a surprised look. That's an insult? I kind of like wolves. Be gone, wolves, Sagoth sneered. These people are mine. Wrong, Radagast retorted. You abuse the powers the Traveler has entrusted us. Sagoth smiled and shrugged. Shields up, Perun shouted. A hail of bullets slammed into their shields. Perun, Radagast, and Saladin slid backwards on dusty path. But they dug in their heels and the shields held. Return fire! Trapped in the narrow path, Sagoth and his warriors fell one by one. Perun, Radagast, and Saladin reloaded, and then Sagoth was up again, his glowing ghost at his shoulder. He fired wildly and a bullet struck Radagast in the head. Got him! Perun shouted as Radagast collapsed. Covering you! Saladin returned. Perun, Radagast, and Saladin died many more times than any of the any one of the other Sagoth's men. But any time one of them fell, another would cover them until they staggered to their feet again. The shield wall held. The three gave no ground. Finally, his robe singed and ragged, Sagoth signaled at retreat. Iron wolves, he shouted as his warriors scattered and a cheer went up from the people in the silver ruins. I will slaughter everyone who has ever sheltered you. In answer... Perun shot him again. <laughs> oh. Love it. 
<laughs> uh, I, so we I, know now where the Iron Wolves moniker right. came from. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I was gonna. That's one of the things I was gonna say is this is where the the nickname Wolves, and I, I just love how like Payrin's kind of like what I like it. Like he's I, you I can like totally see. Too. Yeah, you can totally see her just kind of be like, that's not an insult. Um. Yeah. So, and and it also shows kind of a a a primitive battle strategy and how the fire team, which again three here, how the ba- the fire team can use, you know, tactics of a group as opposed to tactics. And I'm it it kind of makes it seem like Sagoth is the only risen that is in the other side of this whole exchange. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I was going to say, the memory of Payrune, uh, the quote is, we hunt best in a pack. So that's kind of another nod to the nice. wolves. Nice. Uh, I was going to say, Pins is dead on in chat. This has such a strong Thermopylae vibe, if you're at all um, familiar yeah. with the the Spartans and kind of their mythos. Um, the Battle of Thermopylae was a severe mismatch. But the Spartans laid out to make it a war of attrition. And for every Spartan <laughs> life that was lost, they made it to where, you know, it was a hundred, a hundred Persian lives were lost and they were caught in this bottleneck where their numbers meant nothing. That's kind of the, the, it's like a miniaturized version of that battle for me. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it exactly is. It, I mean, it, it, that is exactly what this is because um, basically what happened was, Sparta sent a force of like, I think it was like a couple thousand and they, yeah, the numbers are always real skewed. The the, the number, the numbers are like terribly skewed, but like basically 300 Spartans, but like (laughs) 300 Spartans against like, I think it was a couple thousand of the uh, invading Macedonians. And yeah, it's just, they, they forced them into, they forced him into a, a a ravine, basically, and held a shield wall. And that's, I mean, that literally, that's exactly, uh, you know, as as kind of historically inaccurate as the movie The Three Hundred is, um, that one piece of it kind of kind of is somewhat. I mean, like obviously the battle, like the the obscenely over the top battle, but like the geography of that kind of scene in that movie was actually pretty accurate there there was kind of <laughs> there was nowhere to go so yeah and it it really kind of the whole the whole point of it was the the hubris of of Xerxes in that he could have sailed around this little <laughs> force and, and he completely could have bypassed that fight but but it was but, the most direct path yeah yeah so and my favorite part of this card is the last line in answer. <laughs> Perun shot him again. <laughs> yeah, that's what you get for your trouble, buddy. And do you know what's funny about this card more than anything? All throughout our first year of podcasting, every time we talk Iron Banner, Iron Lords, whatever, it always comes back around to poor, poor Seagoth. <laughs> Oh God! We've, See, we've, okay, we've hang on, hang on, head. hang on. Before I get crucified, it wasn't Macedonians; it was Persians. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I was thinking something else. 
Yeah, it was Persians, and there was like a million of them. So yeah, it was it was a very <laughs> very large. But yes, Thermopylae is uh, the hot gates. So yes, Sagoth did not uh, use his head. He clearly God. lost his head. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to let you go on that, Blue, because I'm not keeping scorey. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so go away. So we good. We good. We good. Yeah, we're okay. good. <laughs> so this is um, Lady Scorey. Oh God! Um, yeah. <laughs> this is a good one, by the way. Um, this would be a lot easier if you had, if you all had run your names by me before you got them. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Scory puts the pen in her teeth and crumples up a piece of paper. It joins dozens of others on the floor. Keeps muttering to herself. Fellwinter, Radagast, Gellian. Hell, even Ephrodite. Now that she's likely to get a verse now. Haven't seen her in weeks anyways. Bunch of dactyls, all of you. Perun strides in, a rifle under each arm. Notices Scory and smirks. Smory, Scory grins at her. Why couldn't the other Iron Lords have followed your lead, huh, Perun? In shadow clad, behind the shield. Through cleansing fire, our hiding foes revealed. Perun doesn't slow. Did you just make that up right as I walked in here? Of course I did. You're iambic. You give me something to work with. <laughs> hmm. We do work well together. Prune laughs, despite herself, shakes her head, and leaves. Hardly my best effort, though. Plus, there's no room for Silmar in there, except his shield. She picks up the pen again, fiddles with it, stares up at the ceiling. Maybe something about that shield... Keeps everything out. Keeps everything out. Protects himself so he can't get hurt. Hmm. Two on the nose. He does have a nice nose. <laughs> Two more Iron Lords walk through. All business. One rolls her eyes at Scory. Splayed on the couch. Scory doesn't notice them enter or leave. Radagast goes in. I know that much. Known the old man too long to leave him out. Might even make it into the chorus. After Scory, though. That goes without, hey, Gellion, what's the rush? <laughs> the hunter stops halfway out the door, turns around slowly, doesn't speak. I thought you were supposed to be the careful one, in such a hurry to get back out there. A quick death is preferable to the alternative. Scory makes a face. Well, that's rude. <laughs> hey, I don't suppose you'd be willing to cut out your name's second syllable. <laughs> Gellion sighs. You're still working on the Iron Song? Why don't you just change the beater if it bothers you so much? Change the... Are you kidding me? Why don't you just change to using a whip? Gellion closes his eyes, turns, and walks out. Change the meter. Unbelievable. You know, Scory, some of us have real work to do. Another Iron Lord. This one's young. Scory doesn't recognize him. Have you forgotten about the ambush tomorrow? Or are you too busy writing limericks? Scory's looking up at the ceiling. No response. The young one's mad now. A lot of people are relying on us, Scory. If you don't think you're up for hunters are up. Top 11 o'clock on the ridge. Two shots to the servitor draw their attention up. I come in with radiance. Dregs are blinded. Yolder's powered up. She rushes in, splits him in half. 
you hopefully don't trip over your cloak like you did back in the flood zone. I'm not optimistic. The rest come out of the cave. Take out the captain. Fellwinter finishes off the South group with a bomb. Everything else is candy. The young one still looks mad as he leaves. The dregs are blinded. Yolder's powered up. She rushes in and splits the group in half. Huh. Needs work. Scory picks up the pin again. <clears throat> I just wish I understood iambic pentameter. <laughs> <laughs> I could have read that so much better. <laughs> I just, oh, I love Scory. <laughs> it's so awesome. <laughs> oh, man. So, Scory <laughs> Scory is the battle bard, obviously, of the group. <clears throat> uh, Game Informer usually makes the, the comparison to uh, Merlin, uh, which is kind of a... Uh, I can see it. It's kind of a stretch. Um, if you know the history of the, the legend of Merlin, it's actually... It makes a little bit of sense because Merlin was originally... Uh, in the original legends... Merlin was portrayed as a bard, a battle bard who was an advisor. Um, and that, that legend obviously has, you know, metamorphosized over the years and over the centuries into the Merlin that we are usually familiar with, which was the wizard. Um, the memory of Scory does have another bit of a bit of quote. It says the astral orb slung low across the sky beneath it, raised we lords our banner high which is really a cool one um see that one actually rhymed (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i picked the easy one i let you have the hard one yeah the one i read was like a haiku and just didn't make it didn't rhyme but someone's probably going to get in chat and tell me that I was supposed to put the emphasis on the third syllable and the <laughs> fifth line of every. Of, yeah. So, so here's no. here's my problem with Scory is we had from way back when an artifact, a warlock artifact called Scory's Dirge. And this is this is where I, I'm I don't see where this actually fits into it. Scory's Dirge says, They say she's apart from the Iron Banner, yet she sings songs of her lost companions. Which, when we read that, when that was the only thing that we had access to, that made me think, or made most of us think, that Scory was the one that survived. That she was the one that remembered her her companions that were lost Throughout, and you know, at this point, we also were thinking that the wolves were fighting the lords, which is not the case. We know now that the lords were fighting Siva, um, but it made us think that Scory was still alive because it speaks about her singing songs in the in the present mm-hmm. tense. Not she sang songs; she sings songs. And so, to find that she is now dead, and but Ephrodite is alive, is kind of a I, I haven't I haven't I haven't gotten these two wires to connect just yet in my understanding of how that works. But unless this is speaking the the only the only I'm ver- oh, sorry I'm going to finish this real quick. No, the only I, thing I could see this being is if it's speaking of Ephrodite seeing a dirge for Scory. I think the thing we're missing here and just this this card 
just brims with personality from Scory. And just from reading this one card, I can tell you right now, Scory is not the type of person who is above writing her own funeral dirge. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely. And sorry, yes, a dirge, a dirge is a is a funeral song. It's a song that's sung yeah. at someone's funeral or the wake for that person. Um, it's a song of remembrance for that individual. So when you say, I mean, this is this is similar to you know Saint Fourteen's vigil and Tarlow's mm-hmm. vigil and stuff like that. I mean, I can totally see this being something. But we had always assumed that Scory it was the dor- dirge for the Iron Lord, right? We we had just always yeah. assumed that, and so now we now have all this new information. Trying to fix, trying to connect the dots from the old the old information with the new information is kind of sometimes interesting. So I mean, I can totally see this being someone saying, "No, this is this is the dirge for Scory, not the dirge that Scory wrote for the Iron Lords." I could see. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's ambiguous enough that that could totally be the the only problem with that is it's a warlock artifact. But I think if no, I mean technically that would still work too. So. It's, yeah, it's it's associated with score. Also, I love that she used the word dactyl as a sort of slur. That's amazing. And also, this would be a lot easier if you'd run your names before me before by me before you got. Them. <laughs> That's amazing. This is the funniest card I think I've ever read. It's this this card may beat the cabal. The Cabal Dead Person's card. The Cabal Dead Person, yeah. Dancing card. I think this this card may beat it. You're right. Well, and I think the cool thing is is that this is starting to show us that you know again what makes what makes characters so memorable is the fact that they are relatable. You know, the more relatable we can get to a character, a fictional character, the more we remember them. And the more, you know, obviously, the more we identify with them and the more we we incorporate them and love them as characters. And Scory is totally the snarky figure in this story. And it's just it's it's the the comedy that, you know, this dark story needs. Scory in Yolder and, you know, all these characters, they all have a sense of, you know, well, that's just the way it is. And we're going to make, you know, we're going to make the best we can of it. I think that's really kind of, I think that's important in any story writing, really. I mean, you know, we've talked about that before, the story writing process. You need to have that 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 contrast. You know, if you're going to have super serious stories, you also need to have a joke or two. You know, we saw that in The Taken King with Cade. Cade was so such a prevalent figure in The Taken King because he offered that 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 little gem of contrast against the weight of the entire story. It was like the weight of the entire universe is collapsing, but yet there's Cade right in the center making jokes with a gallows. Cracking jokes. Cracking jokes. So, I mean, and and again, that's what I I think that, you know, to me, that's how I read that card is that this is a, a kernel of light within this kind of this dark story. Well, it's it's almost like if if we don't have time to sing songs, then the the bad things in the world have won. Right, right, right. I yeah, mean, I mean that's and that's something that you know, Gellion definitely. You know, when we get to Gellion, we'll talk about that a little bit too, because one of his one of his um, 
I think it's the Iron Banner weapon speaks of that. But real quick, let's talk about someone who wasn't so necessarily happy and go lucky all the time. Liar. <laughs> Lord Fellwinter, who I actually... <laughs> so, spoiler alert, Fellwinter is an XO. Um, just in case anyone didn't figure that out from the cards yet, which we will get to when we get to it's a teamer, I think, that we learned that in. Mm-hmm. So, Lord Fellwinter. Deep inside a clandestine stronghold sat the Dark Horse Fellwinter in Satan, warlord of the 32nd Sector of Old Russia. A polished obsidian table rested heavily between them. Didn't think you'd have the courage to come back here, said the warlord. Situational awareness, not courage. I go where I can do the most good. Thank you for seeing me. Phil Winter's voice sounded as hollow as his helmet. Satan wanted to knock it clean off the Iron Lord's bony shoulders. He could do it with a single punch. As I recall, you used to have a throne on that light forsaken peak till you joined up with the wolves. You're the only warlord I know who held an entire mountain. Phil Winter Pink. No one ever calls it that. The Iron Lords do, though they, they did ask me to take that throne down. Satan's laugh shook the room. How is losing territory ever a good thing for a warlord? Fellwinter folded his hands atop the table. Underneath it, Satan made two fists, a crescent of light flickering between them. Join us and find out, said the Iron Lord. Turn your sector over to us. You can still patrol it, of course. Satan's voice lowered. Of course. You know I'll refuse. Then we'll put you down and take your territory by force. Over and over again if we have to. I invite you to my home after you abandon us and you come to threaten me? The warlord stood, towering over Fellwinter. To broker peace, Satan thought that even the voice behind the helmet didn't believe what it said. The floor shuddered as the warlord upended the massive table with one hand. It smashed into the opposite wall as tendrils of void light passed through it and coalesced into Fellwinter's leaping form. Satan had seen this parlor trick before, judged that he could hammer the Iron Lord out of the air, but Fellwinter's momentum continued into a knee lift that smashed into Satan's head as the larger man reared back to strike. The Warlord fell, the front of his helm shattering. Fellwinter landed next to Satan's prone body. Lady Yolder taught me that. Can't say the Iron Lords haven't done me any favors, the voice Aitone. You know we'll burn the world down before we let the Iron Lords rule it. The larger man gasped, breathing out of his mouth, his face a bloody mess. The void light in Fellwinter's hand snapped, and so did the warlord's neck. Radagast is scattered. Perun is indecisive. Silmar wants to build a tower and hide, but they're going to change the world. No one can stop them, Fellwinter said quietly to the corpse. He parted his coat and drew a bronze shotgun. Will it be for the better? I don't know, but they mean to end the fighting so I don't have to sleep with my back to the wall every night, light in my hand, and that's not nothing. He paused as if waiting for something. Normally, this is where I ask you to reconsider, tell you that you should come with me, see how powerful your light can become. But I know you, Satan. What you do with the land you take with its people, the other lords, especially Saladin, might let you walk away. I'm not going to give him the chance. Satan ghost sparked into view from above, bringing its eye to bear on its fallen charge. The warlord emerged from a radiant column, a frenzied shout at his lips. Fellwinter's shotgun cracked like thund- thunder, once for the warlord, 
and again for his ghost. Boom, boom, mm. boom. Probably from a ridiculous range <laughs> that made zero sense from a game mechanic standpoint. But yeah. Wow. And so is this Fell Winter's lie that he got back to back to uh, Fell Winter Peak and they said, so how'd the negotiation go? And he said, oh, I tried to. No. Is this a lie that he always meant to go there and kill this man? Um, That's one of the theories. Uh, I... Yeah. So here, here's how I view Fellwinter. I view Fellwinter kind of has Rorschach from Watchmen. He is absolute. He is black and white. Um, he is a person who is willing. He he knows that he can't be safe. He I think he knows deep down. I think the way that he feels is that he can't be the the sense that I get from him, especially from the the card with Teamer. Um, he knows that he can't be saved, but he wants to save. He he wants to try to save himself. He wants he wants redemption, but in order to get the redemption for others, he has to walk a path that other people probably can't stomach and probably don't want to know. Like he kind of I mean you you get the sense that he's like no, they're going to forgive you and there's that you've done that is not forgivable. You know, he's, he's the yeah. bat, he's the Batman without the code here. He's like you, he's the yeah. Punisher. I mean, he is a Punisher figure and he's I think the cop that says you might get off and right. I'm not, well, I mean, I, I don't want to go there, but yes, I mean, well, it, it, yeah, not in real life. Right. I mean, that's what, that's what I mean is I, I view him kind of as the Rorschach figure. You know, if you, if you read Watchmen or if you've seen the movie Watchmen, they do a pretty decent portrayal of him, but he is he is unforgiving in the fact that he ch- he has chosen a side in this battle and if you have if you are on the opposite side you're not getting mercy you know he's he's kind of like the the patent figure he's the kill them all let god sort out the the rest mm-hmm. and and i think the difference with this card is it, it you definitely get the feeling that i mean it definitely gets the sense that satan and him have history you know he he mm-hmm. definitely has history with this guy or this this warlord and definitely knows this guy is not redeemed like this is not someone that they want associated with the iron banner because yeah. he doesn't believe in it and i think that's the other thing is like he kind of he kind of sees this this thing is like they, and he says that he says they mean to end the fighting so that I don't have to sleep with my back to the wall every night light in my hand. And that, I mean, basically imagine that imagine you have been ever since you were reintroduced to a world that you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea who's who, what's going on. You have had to scrape your way out of this place and you are, you are, you have lived as far as you can remember an existence in which you have to sleep with your back to a stone wall with the, the most powerful weapon that you have access to ready to go. And then someone comes and offers you safety. Someone offers you a place that you can, you can sleep that you can sleep among trusted individuals that, you know, people who would not stab you in the back while you're sleeping. And what that tells me is that 
this per this warlord Satan is not a person that Felwinter would feel that way about. You know, he sees Satan as someone who would gladly misuse this this opportunity to stab people in the back. And Felwinter, I think, in his own way, is protecting the Iron Banner from its own virtue. And I don't know, man. I I don't think he believes in it. Oh, like, I think he. I think he believes. I think I, that he believes know. that they're going to change the things. I, I think he believes, and just from listening to them talk, I think he believes that the iron, the iron lords are going to succeed. Like he's he's back in a winner, and he knows he knows they're going to win. Like he's seen all the evidence before him, and he says, "Okay, they're going to win. They're going to win." Um. And they're going to make it to where I don't have to sleep with one, you know, looking over my shoulder with, I don't have to sleep with my eyes open mm-hmm. basically. Um, but I think his lie might actually be that he doesn't buy into it. Like you can, you can tell it in the, uh, in the dialogue here. He said, yeah, this is the part where I should really, you know, mm-hmm. reason with you and go through all this stuff. But I, but I think we both know that you're just a piece of human garbage and that, you know, the other Lords and their idealism might let you walk away, but I don't cling to such lofty beliefs and I'm going to shotgun you in the face. <laughs> Probably from a, from an obnoxious <laughs> range, Probably. So I think that might here's, be it. I mean, he's, here's he, the other, his, but here's the thing is like the silver dread, for instance, the, the heavy weapon from the iron banner, it says forged in the honor of Phil winter. He who tried to avert the doom on the horizon. I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I totally can see that. Um, <clears throat> I totally can see him not believing. I mean, we know that Felwinter winter was the one that tried to communicate with Rasputin I mean, there there are so many holes in the story that could be the the quote unquote lie of Fellwinter. Um but yeah, you're right. It could be that he never actually believed. But I don't I just don't get that. I don't get that feeling from him because he I mean he gave up everything for the Iron Lords. He really did. Yeah. He gave up he gave up his entire kingdom for them. But but listen, listen. But the the smart, the, the oh, opportunist. I, I, yeah, he he says, "I'm not winning this fight. I can either I can either you know offer my home up, <laughs> or or I can offer my life up." Because you you hear him say here, um, "Will it be for better? Eh, I don't know, but they mean to end the fighting, so I don't have to sleep with my back back to the wall." So. Is this necessarily a thing of merit they're doing? Nah, I couldn't really say, but they're going to do something that that indirectly will benefit me. So, yeah, no, eh. and and Rose Rose is putting it in better words in chat than I was. It sounds like he believes in what the lords are doing, but he doesn't. He's not good enough to be with them. He wants he wants to. He wants to belong. He wants to be redeemed. But he doesn't think I, I get I just I get this sense that he's like, I'm going to do and because like memory of Felwinter says, I accept the consequences. 
you know, he, the, he stares into the void. He tries to avert the doom on the horizon right here. He is, he's killing a warlord that he, he, I mean, it feels like he knows is going to be abusive of the trust that the Lords would give them, especially Saladin would give them. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he feels like he's that person who's like, I want to belong, but I don't belong because I'm to, I'm already so tainted by, he's also, he's also a former warlord. You know, like he, he actually used to be, he's a defector basically. And so, you know, he, he may feel, and I don't, I don't, we don't know if the other, we don't know if the other, uh, lords and ladies were former warlords, but we do know that Felwinter used to be, and he, it wasn't just a small warlord. He was a warlord of an entire mountain, which, you know, we hear here is not a common, not a common thing. So he's not he's not a uh, a small time figure. So I mean, and that's that's what I mean is like Felwinter feels like kind of a a figure that if he had stood in opposition to the banner, he could have rallied a lot of people, and he could have probably yeah. he probably could have broken a couple of things. I mean, sure, they probably would have taken him down, but not without a giant. I I don't, I don't know. I I I I can totally yeah. see both sides though. Of that argument. So, and and I'm almost inclined to agree with you because I think he probably could have just sat on top of the mountain and killed everyone with his shotgun <laughs> when they started to climb it. <laughs> Dude, can you tell that I hate that shotgun? <laughs> Is it evident? Um, yeah. Well, let's let's go to something anyway. that you do you you like a little bit more. <laughs> yes, Lord Gellion. <laughs> um, I like Gellion because he carries three knives. Gellion wears three knives. Their names are Swiftling, Occam, and Quietus. They did much of the work at Black Lona in silence and at speed. Between the roots of the ash tree that covers his den, Gellion has stacked the fallen bones collected from that one-night operation. The scavenged pieces of an ahamkara, several jumbled coyote skeletons, and a fossil mastodon skull are mixed in with them. The bones are scorched and battered from the various grenades, bullets, and hammers he's taken to them. He keeps extensive notes on these stress tests in a tattered notebook with field armor experiments scrawled on its cover. So far, though, he hasn't tried his knives on these materials. Between bones, in the joints and gaps, certainly but not on them. Gellion flips Swiftling and catches it by the, t- by the haft. He throws it, a single smooth motion, and it shatters a fallen tibia. He flips Occam and throws it. The knife clatters on an Ahamkara vertebrae. He flips quietus and shanks and pikes, Ephrodite. Oh, that's the last yip it's yipped, he says, picking up the coyote jaw that quietus impaled. Helmet, would you say? Too brittle. Either bone's better. Flexes. The others follow her in, wrinkling their noses. Usually they avoid his dim and earth-smelling den. Their presence suggests that Felwinter is doing something unpleasant probably involving screams. Bone, Saladin says, not carbon bronze, not plasteel. 
Bones always available as a last resort, nothing else. This is doomsday thinking, Yolder says, kicking aside fragments of bone. We have your back. Our plate is strong. When do you need scavenged armor? If all of you were cut down around me, your light drained past return, and my own armor was shredded, for instance, there's a long silence. You always know what to say to make us feel better, Ephrodite says. I could hide under your bodies until the threat left. Then I'd make a helmet from all of your skulls and a breastplate from your ribs and gloves from your finger bones wrapped around mine. There's a long silence. (laughs) I love Gallagher. This is what Blue thinks of me. I could hide under your body until the th- no. Actually, I don't. I don't know if I. No, anyways, <laughs> Gil- so so I've got a really important point. A really important point <laughs> is 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 Gellion the one that's crafting the bones of Eow and all the other Ahamkara armor? That there we is see? there is a lot of people who you have <laughs> who who have that theory. There is there is the number of number of people have made that connection. I don't know. I can I can see I can see it um, because this is kind of the first time we have gotten any acknowledgement of armor crafting really seriously. You know, kind of something out of bone, especially. Um, but, so yeah, because it's such a weird concept because it clearly didn't work for the creature that had it first. <laughs> you know, I mean. Go ahead, Blue. Just go ahead. I'm so hurt right now. I just love Gellion. Gellion is like he is he has taken he has taken all the attributes of the like the Iron Wolves completely to heart. He has a den. He he's like scavenging. Um he's researching his enemies so that he knows like how to to do things. He's got three knives, and these this is a really cool kind of nod to a couple of things. The knives are named Swiftling, Ackman, Quietus. Uh, first off, Swiftling, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, Swiftling. I found a bunch of pictures of pink Crocs when I looked it up. <laughs> Swiftling is, I'm assuming, because it's fast. Like you know, it it's it's a fast throwing knife. Um, quietus, quietus is a is a word that literally means death or something that causes death, regarded as the release from life. Um, Interestingly enough, it is also something that has a calming or soothing effect. Uh, I believe it was was the what was the movie that Quietus was in? Children, Children, Children of, of Men. Children of Men. And it was Quietus. a way it was a way better book than it was a movie. Well, we're not going to get on that topic. Um, but quiet, so Quietus <laughs> is something that causes death. Again, a knife thrown would do that. And then Occam. Occam. Most people will probably recognize this. Most likely, it's a nod to Occam's Razor, uh, which is also a really fun weapon to get in the Elder Scrolls game. But it's also a nod to a problem-solving principle that is usually attributed to one William of Occam, who was an English Franciscan friar, a scholastic philosopher, and a theologian. And basically, the principle is interpreted as saying, among all competing hypotheses, the one with the fewest assumptions should be selected. It's basically the simplest answer is usually the right one. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I think those, you know, the three knives, I think that kind of is kind of a interesting, interesting nod to a couple of different naming conventions there, but he, I, I really kind of want to read the field armor experiments book. I think that would be, Oh very yeah. I think that'd like, be amazing. Nope. And, then, and you could, and you could Nuh-uh. tell, I love how he's like, Oh, you're here. Cause fell winter is doing something unpleasant. Yeah. And I'm the crazy one. Yeah, and yeah, Gellion. Gellion actually is more the fit for like a, war, a Rorschach from Watchmen. Like he he actually is like spot on the fit for Rorschach because he is the unpleasant one that no one really wants to be around. But he's prepared for everything, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. knowing how to use his friends' bodies to make armor. Because, yeah. you know, you, everyone should be prepared to do that, regardless of where you are. Because anyone can wear a friendship bracelet. <laughs> but only a turbo bestie wears your skull as a helmet. <laughs> and so, and, but, but at the same time, Gellion is, Gellion is really an inner, is kind of an interesting figure too, because the memory of Gellion, you kind of get a bit of snark from him. So the memory of Gellion says, so long as you, a- as, excuse me, so long yes. as we <laughs> actually manage to do some good, you can call me iron anything you want. So he, he actually, and then, um, what is it? Is it, it's not, there was like three snaps in there. It was like, that's the laughing heart. Which is the new the new Iron Banner? It says forged in honor of Gellion, he who taught us to cherish both the rainy days and the sunny. So I mean, even though he was a fatalistic individual, you know, in a doomsday thinking quote unquote, he also seemed to have a really firm grasp on enjoying the present, you know, living life in the now. Instead of kind yeah. of banking on the future being there, because the future wasn't gonna necessarily be there, so I think that was I think well, that introduces a new layer to him. There's a difference between being a nihilist and being a painful pragmatist, right? And you can you can mistake one for the other very easily, but I, I think that's where therein lies Gillian. He is an obnoxious pragmatist like it's like it's it's like yeah of course if you were already dead and it meant that i would live of course i'd use your bones as armor yeah gillian we understand you didn't have to say it didn't have to say it because if i'm already gone i don't need to be told i don't need to know that now so why'd you have to say it see that's gillian he's a he's an obnoxious pragmatist that's where i see him not that he's evil. He's not, no, he's not evil. But yeah, that's a, for instance. Yeah, for instance, your skull would be an amazing helmet. So, oh, oh so, man. do we want to move on? Let's to, move. Let's move to the opposite end of the spectrum. Yes. Yes. Do you have a Lord Radagast? I do. Do you want me to read Lord Radagast? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and get it. <clears throat> All right, so Lord Radagast. 
Radagast strode through the ashes. A cloud hung in his wake as he made his way to the top of the rise. Scars marred his armor and his sidearm lay in the dust. He didn't need it now. The battle was over. This had been a mining outpost once. A few buildings and a transport. Nestled amid a small forest, it had been like a precious jewel set atop the dull crown of the wildlands. Now, there was almost nothing left. The warrior began to walk slowly down into the valley. He pulled his helm from his head and let it drop with a muted thud into the ash. Of the forest, only stumps remained. Of the small village, there was no trace. The buildings reduced to splinters. Here and there, you could see dull gray signs of inhabitation. At the bottom of the valley, Radagast came to the source of the ash, death, and violence. The light bearers were laid out in a row, simple cloth covering their armored and robed forms. There were five of them, and they had been lined up beneath the melted girders of the settlement's great hall. These warlords had terrorized this part of the wild for years. Hundreds had died at their hands. Radagast turned as his companions crossed the valley floor to join him. They had been policing the dead, finding a fitting in for the settlers and miners for the outpost. Yolder came with a steady glide, energy and fire. Saladin, calm and slow, the weight of the dead on his shoulders. In formation behind them stepped Perun, her boots barely leaving a trace as she walked. They gathered before him. Never again, he itoned the words quietly. The others stood as battle-scarred statues. We ride against despots and warlords. We hide in these enclaves, hoping that other light bearers will not find us. We fear each other. He shook his head, his fists clenched. And we should not. We are stronger together. We are mighty together. All we have to fear is this. He pointed down at the dead warlords. Giving in. Allowing the power of the light to blind us to what we truly are. It was Perun, of course, who asked the question. What are we? No judgment. No reproach. Still, Radagast could feel their doubt. He turned upwards and his eyes settled on the massive span that supported the hall. His eyes shone as he turned back to his fellows. We will be what the people need us to be. We will be guardians. We will be protectors. We will hold the last of us together. His voice rang out across the still valley. Our days of hiding are ended. Say it now, each of you. Who among the other bearers do you trust? Who can be counted on to ride with us? Bredemart, said Yolder. Daedrus, said Perun. I trust only you, Radagas, said Saladin, and their leader scowled in response. What are you saying? What are we? Perun asked again. Radagast smiled. We will gather those you trust. We will not wait for this, he gestured around him, to force our hand. We will ride against those who would use the light against our own. Humanity must have protectors, like the knights of old. Around them, the dust swirled in the air. Shafts of sunlight coalesced into long slanted bars as the sun dipped towards the horizon. Are you with me? Will you stand with me as iron lords? In the waning light, their answers rang like thunder on the air. So, real quick here, the um, the original 
well, not the original, the year two items from Iron Banner, which were the Wolfswood item, actually seems to be a nod to this situation. Uh, this is the situation in which those items are talking about the Iron Banner being formed under the dawn, the the Red Dawn, under the the out, uh, outstretched Iron Oak. So I think I think that's kind of a that was a really cool tie-in to the Wolfswood. I think that was the class items, I believe. Um, so I, I, again, that was just a really to me that was a really really interesting tie-in to those those previous pieces of lore. Um, now it should be noted also we don't know we don't know which warlords they were standing over um i'm pretty sure sagoth wasn't involved in this one because the quote from sagoth said seems to be a little bit more divisive than the start of the iron banner it seemed to be happening somewhat later down the road with the iron banner but um we do kind of also see that this is where you start seeing that the iron wolves the year two uh iron banner weapon those names they were actually Iron Lords as well. They were brought into the fold by the original Lords and Ladies of Iron. Um, and those, you know, again, those were Colavance, Ash Raven, Bretamart, Deidris, Finala, Hakan, Nurwin, Tormod, and Waylorin. Interesting note about those groups is only the last four are not actually mentioned anywhere in the Grimoire dropped within the um, the Rise of Iron. So we actually have nods of all of them except for those last four. But I'm trying to see here the only other part that I wanted to point out before I hand it over to Justin is, of course, we have a memory artifact of of Radagast. And that quote is, Our lives are no, no longer our own. We have sworn them in service to the traveler and to humanity. So... Mm-hmm. Radagast, Radagast really is portrayed as the King Arthur of this whole Camelot, this Iron Camelot, if you would. So, Justin, yeah. take it away. So, I, I want to address something that's been bothering me for a while. And it's, we we have a tendency to want to oversimplify things. Um, and since we've started doing this. There's been a a tendency to want to define what a guardian is. And this has been something that's been gone round and round and round about over and over again. But I think people want to put a, a, um, a hard and fast definition on what a guardian is like ghost plus resurrection equals guardian, right? That's, that's what a lot of people Mm -hmm. want to, to put on what a guardian is, but this, to me, this card shifts the onus on what, what an actual guardian is much more on the purpose you serve. You know what I mean? Um, so it's, it's at this very point that you can actually pinpoint the moment that they ceased being solely risen and started being guardians because it was a it was a a frame of mind thing. It was a it was a you know a shift in their thinking that Radagast instigated here that said <clears throat> we'll not 
look out for our, our own interests solely anymore. We won't wait for trouble to come find us. We're going to be guardians for mankind because they're in need. And I just, I've been saying that for a long time, maybe not that succinctly. This card really helped me put it out there better. But um, I I very strongly believe that. That yeah. you can't just say, you're resurrected, you have a ghost, you're a guardian. I know that's the mechanic that right. we all start the game with, but... Well, and Radagast uh, introduces whoa, whoa. a really good um, term, I think, light bear. Mm-hmm. You you are a that light bear. You you yeah. bear the light. That doesn't that doesn't. It's how you use that weapon that determines if you're a guardian or yeah. a warlord or a <clears throat> and a I think sunbreaker or you know whatever a mercenary. <clears throat> Yeah, I think uh, Mystic has it has it perfect. The light was a gift. Being a guardian is a conscious choice. Yes. Yeah. I agree completely. So, okay. I think we've always agreed on that, but just... No, no. We have always agreed on that, Justin. <laughs> I think we have, but that's always <laughs> bothered me. So, uh, next... After Radagast is Lord Silamar, the Lord Architect. Lord Silamar died for his died for his pile of stones. He died when the fallen took it in the battle Battle of Alms. He died when the warlords destroyed it in their third great barrage. He died blade through his eye when the House of Devils smashed it in their westward campaign. He died on the structure's great steps, cutting down by an advancing line of archons. And when the stonework fell to the cluster bombs, he died in the structure's sprawling shadow and upon its vaunted heights. Once, during a falling siege, while the battlements crumbled beneath his feet, he leapt from its parapet so that he might know the structure more fully might feel the weight of the sky pressing down on all that stone and steel. The better to raise its next incarnation, he said to those allies who later questioned his madness. As the fallen charged, Silamar refused to abandon what he'd built, though others retreated to a stronger position. Go, he told them. Save yourselves. I'll slow them down. The enemy came in overwhelming force a breaking wave of blades and firepower and death. Atop the structure's central bulwark, Lord Silmar held his ground. Take it if you can, you he shouted at the swarming enemy. He leapt upon the great edifice and there put up a final stand as the enemy engulfed him. He died with his dagger in the guts of an archon while the great structure shook with explosions and rained stones down upon the land. Later that night, when Lord Silamar rose again from the ashes, he found Lord Saladin already there and waiting, standing near the place where he'd made his final stand. This structure is doomed, Saladin said in the darkness. You must know this. Not doomed, Silamar said. Fated, perhaps. Doomed is too strong a word. Use whatever word you like, but there's another word that applies to this place. Indefensible. And yet, after each defeat, you rebuild. I seek only to build it more perfectly. 
Lord Saladin shook his head. Only a fool would raise the same structure again and again. These stones are like us, Lord Silmar said. Don't you see? Silmar rose to his feet. He walked among the smoking ruins, the shattered blocks. He glanced down at the piled corpses of dead enemies, the charred remains of a once great citadel now reduced to scattered rubble. They knock us down, you and me, he continued. But time and time again we rise, like this place. Eleven times they've destroyed what you built, Saladin said. Why rebuild what will be knocked down? Because one time they won't be able to, Silmar said. And when that day comes, when this perfect, indefensible structure stays standing, then we'll know. We'll know what? Lord Silmar looked at his old friend. Then he turned and strode the broken stones and looked out over the ruins that spread away into the distance. Then we'll know it's safe to build our city to the sky. Mm-hmm. Silmar's deep. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I like, I like, I like the, the just like, I don't know. He, he really strikes me as a defender. Mm-hmm. He's like, nope, this is my wall. Yeah, gonna build it again. I don't care. Gonna pop my bubble one more time. And and you know, in in line with that, the memory of Silamar, the quote is, "Come, is there no one who can stand against the iron wall?" <laughs> I love it though. I love it. He's such a glutton for punishment. He really. I mean, like the iron sash, like the old the old iron sash is. You know, his the quote was, "Ward or fist, you cannot be broken." Like he, he is literally the person who just will stand there and let you beat on him and then just but it's actually like, kind of weird it's kind of weird because wasn't his um your one iron banner weapon wasn't it Silmar's wrath yes yes but I mean Which is, think, no but think about that what's more terrifying than the wrath of a patient man I guess that's true that's a really creepy way to put it yeah that's <laughs> I mean, when this, when the, uh, he just, he is totally the, the pinnacle of a person who, when he finally snaps, I don't want to be anywhere near him mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about you. Yeah. Thanks. But, um, <laughs> we're going to gloss over that topic. There is, there is, uh, the, the, there is actually a random armor type. The, I'm going to butcher this name, Mangonel type two. And it's a, it's an interesting quote because again, Silmar is the construction, you know, the the builder, the the wall, the first wall of the city, and Mango the Mangonel Type Two is a quote from Silmar. It says, "If the terrain does not suit your purposes, reshape it." So, not only is he okay nice. with just like sitting there and letting things get destroyed, he is actually he is actually. He is doing his work to terraform, or not terraform, but to form the ground to make an actual perfect building. Like, it's not just, I'm going to build something and let it fall apart and rebuild it exactly the same. He is, I mean, and that's what we see here is, you know, every time it falls, it teaches him something. It teaches him a new weakness. Every time it gets Mm -hmm. broken, he sees where that is and he rebuilds, he rebuilds, he rebuilds. It's a broken bone. You know, he he refuses the stone. He rebuilds it on top of itself, and he just and and I can totally see. And 
totally see how some people would be like, you're absolutely insane, even for a normal human being. But if you apply this to an immortal being who literally has the centuries to do this, oh my lord, this guy's structures are going to be amazing. I, I almost want to say this is probably where you start seeing Titans of the Stoneborn order. Because that's, you know, they're just, that's what they do is they kind of build walls and they build the city and they build things. They build structures. So they need to, they need to build it a little better. Well, he was, I mean, uh, he was the Lord architect is that that's the title that he was given. So. I like it. Like it. So. We get to so we get next, to move on to the yeah. awesome guy. Yeah, do it. All right, so Teamer, Lord Teamer, Teamer's storm trance tears through a gang of dregs as Fell Winter stumbles through the shifting sands behind him, miles inland of what remains in the Arabian shores. Where are you taking me? Fell Winter rushes to Teamer's side, his eyes jumping, focus, anticipating another attack. You seem far too obsessed with these war mines. Teamer stops and stares into the horizon as if smelling something. Not danger. Discovery. He draws his fellow Iron Lord close. Tell me, fell Winter, he whispers. What does the word seraph mean to you? Fell Winter leans to whisper back. Old Earth theology? I know its power well. One can make great use of the traps of faith in its myths. Damn you, Exos. The whisper game abandoned. Do you even ponder the before? Or is that number etched into your flesh? Do you see yourself in your dreams? The, a shank. Then another. Then more. Fellwinter hits the ground and reaches for his sidearm. Teemer hates interruptions, and his face shows it. A wash of arc light grows in his hand and erupts as the pack of machine dogs falls nearly in unison. Teamer grabs Fellwinter, bringing him back to his feet and says, Have you ever wondered what it is that calls to you in the void of a memory, where the edge of the past infects your present? He returns to his games of whispers. It's an itch you can't scratch, isn't it? Well, maybe you can. You think I'm one of them? That all exo art? Lord Fellwinter, I know what you are, and you are no warmind or even one of its puppets. Come, you must see this. He makes a gesture like he's casting a spell over the sand. Follow my footfalls. This area is rigged with dirty fallen nonsense. They struggle up the dunes. Fellwinter glides ahead. As he lands, a sandstorm rises to meet him. More shanks. Hundreds of them. Behind them, a lone vandal sniper lays down covering fire. Fellwinter, realizing his mistake, runs back towards Teemer, shielding himself in the light of suns. Teamer continues forward, grasps the brass familiar around his neck, and closes his eyes. A slight hum rises, and his trance takes him deep into the she of shanks. His trusted lash raised and tearing his path through the darkness. Fellwinter is slow to follow, but fast enough to witness Teamer's focus turn shanks by the pack against the vandal keeper, chasing him back towards the sea. Teamer rushes to Fellwinter, examining his head with the intensity of a cryptarch. Hmm, Warmind, you certainly are as stubborn as one. Fellwinter awkwardly pulls himself away and out of Teemer's reach. With all respect, Lord Teemer, whatever game you're playing with me has gone on far too long. This is just another dead zone. Oh, 
is it? Steamer directs Fell Winter's eyes towards the eastern horizon, where a building crowned with the initial CB is now in view. We all have creators. Human, Exo, Warminds, even those poor Awoken. Some are just easier to find. Love Teamer. Absolutely love Teamer. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's really actually one of my new favorite quotes is the uh the have you ever wondered what it is that calls to you in that void of memory where the edge of the past infects your present. I think that's an amazing quote. Um yeah. It also I also kind of have a theory about Teamer, but let me real quick let's let's look at the memory of Teamer, which is the new artifact for him. And that one is a quote that says, ask strange questions. Our questions shape the reality that answers them. Which is an amazing nod towards a more of a phenomenological bend. But um, Timur Timur actually kind of reminds me of a lot of the quotes on the Seraph armor. um, Because a lot of those quotes are talking about the life or the time between the lives and the memories of the past and where we, where the guardians were before they were raised and stuff like that. And and I, I kind of thinking that maybe Timur might've been a source of some of those quotes. I'm not a hundred percent sure on it, obviously, but this is one of my, one of my theories, but Timur, Timur also was rather obsessed with the past and with especially Clovis Bray. Um, and the golden yeah. age in general. What's the what's the quote? Is it from Shiro where he says, according to Timur, Clovis Brain invented the traveler. No, that's made that's, the travelers. Um <clears throat> that's Colavance, and that is actually in uh it's in one of the cards that we're gonna get to here and it actually it's the next card. That's a good segue, Justin. Yeah, way to go, Justin. Yeah. On purpose. So, (laughs) Ghost Fragment Dark Age 3 from the Journals of Lord Colavance. What does one do when one's master has gone mad? I admired the man for so long, poured years of study into his leads, but now he has grown incapable of focus. I have followed his latest missives on Siva and is flooded with mania. Whatever he thinks this Clovis brain might hold would make you believe that they were only the only entity of any technical know-how, that they owned every piece of that tarnished golden age. I write this because I fear none of the others knows or senses it. He has been so thorough, so right, until now. Something snapped, infected him. Hmm, infected him? <laughs> Turned him against his own sense of logic and reason. And here I am, left behind to tend the fires in the ironwood tree in this budding city, while everyone rushes at his promise of another wonder from yesterday. But I ask you, traveler, did you cleanse us from these technological disasters to prove we had gone astray? The light you raised us with points far away from the trappings of a processed earth to a nebulous power far beyond the stars. Had we done wrong, and this is how you hope to correct us? We the light to lead the way? It must be, 
but even your shattered hull seems like a designed system. Lord Teemer has notes upon notes on your runes. Perhaps it is where his madness began. I wonder how long it will be until he thinks you were made by Clovis Bray. Hmm. Yeah, it's plausible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. Sure, it's pl- no. <laughs> he made everything else. Oh, my gosh. Maybe. Um. Colavance Colavance also has a quote on the warlock artifact Colavance's choice where he says I will fight to stop the fighting if that means I must die then I choose death and Colavance also is one of the wolves that we heard about or the lords that we heard about in year two with the Colavance's duty um, I believe that was a scout rifle so Col- yes, Colavance, yes, it was. Yeah, and this this kind of kind of points to I know the chat was talking about it a little bit. Uh, the orrery across from Ephrodite, in the Iron Temple. This is kind of a nod to that being the possible location of. Um, I don't I don't know necessarily if it was Teemer that was obsessed with it, but it was one of the Iron Lords definitely. Um, and you should recognize that because that is the same device that is also in our tower that the speaker has. So, and there was one other person in there the was Lord. one other we person one that those. we've talked about that has was, who, was who would other. that be? Who would that be? The Osmium King. Yes. All of Ooh. which, all of which were completely and utterly obsessed and- with it. Well, yeah, and there's that's the common thread. Each person who had one of those went, you know, banana sandwich on it. Like they all lost. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to figure out a way to. <laughs> like they all lost all sense of like reason when it came to it. So, yeah. So, um, and this, and this also, you know, Ghost Fragment Dark Age Three also puts us at the beginning of the City Age, at the end of the Dark Age. Because he says, you know, Colavance is being left behind to tend the fires and the ironwood tree in this budding city, uh, while everyone is everyone runs off to the promise of another wonder from yesterday. So I assume I kind of assume that he's talking about Teemer as his master, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I just assume that's kind of where that was going, but. <laughs> oh, yeah so do we want to move on to a character that we actually gained in rise of iron yeah not a character well not a character not a character so much as an npc sure everyone's another, another everyone's NPC. yeah everyone's favorite old lady <laughs> tyra karn she doesn't give me cookies or even ribbon candy but whatever Tyra is our new uh, Cryptarch in the in the Felwinter's Pink social space. I don't like her. But that's just me. <laughs> it's based on my experience with her. But anyways, let's move on. Um, Tyra considers herself an observer of history rather than a, than a participant. In the time of the Iron Lords, Tyra was the keeper of their stories. Later, she helped found the Cryptarch Order. 
but withdrew from its day-to-day operation to concentrate on her studies. Tyra has dedicated decades sorting through recovered artifacts, documents, and ghost discoveries in hopes of bringing out the undeniable truths of our past. With the rise of Siva, Lord Saladin has convinced his old friend to return to the Iron Temple. Yep. Yeah. So she's she's basically an archivist. Oh, yeah. Sky Dragon mm-hmm. in chat has that. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, the other the other point is this is yet another cryptarch who is an awoken, uh, which kind of confirms a lot of our theories that the cryptarchy is an awoken specialty. And actually, this she's she's a she's pretty sprightly for her old age. She was around the time she was around in the time of the iron Lords. She helped fund or found the cryptarch order, the cryptarchy. So, you know, that Raul and Ives and all them, this is the lady who put together that entire order. Um, and so (laughs) she's, she's been at studying for quite a bit of, quite a bit of time. And she doesn't seem to have a ghost, so it's, that begs into question: What exactly is going on with the Awoken? Yeah, but none of the other Cryptarchs have a ghost. No, but that's my point: is how is she still alive? She lives. She's lived her life. <laughs> she's she does her. She <laughs> she's only. Universe. I mean, she's at least four hundred years old. Let's put it that way. And. Her hands are about a thousand. <laughs> Sorry. If you've ever looked at her, look at her hands. They're bad. She's got like, she's got like a Rue McClanahan going on up top. And then she's got Minute Bowl's hands. Like she's just, she could just, she is the only Destiny NPC who could palm a basketball. she is a she's just awoken that's how she looks oh my lord (laughs) so anyways speaking speaking of the orrery that is across from Ephrodite um the Vostok Observatory uh is I'm pretty sure that is the orrery and I'm if I'm unless I'm completely misremembering something um, and it says this, the brochure has suffered extensive water damage, but there's a map of the region with a red circle and a note, Teemer, your replication complex fell winter. Uh, so the Vasatak Observatory Historical Society welcomes red blank from the gondola from the gondola is possible blank. Late Soviet space programs were converted to blank research facilities to study accelerated methods of colonization blank. Kids, hollow badges to remember your trip. I want my hollow badge. I'd like one. I, I think I think we should ask Saladhead where our hollow badges are. I, I think we'll just ask Cosmo when we see him next. Okay, that works too. We we have a better chance. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just want I just want to say Vostok Station is a real place. I don't know if you I don't know if you caught that. Um, yeah, sorry. Yes. It, it's, it's actually, um, on princess Elizabeth land, Antarctica. Uh, it was formerly the Soviet union, but, um, yeah, it's middle of nowhere. 
I don't think that helps us anywhere because I definitely doubt that that where we know is are the in boss Antar- t- yeah, yeah, I definitely doubt they're in Antarctica, but um, it's got the weather I for did, it. But yeah, it doesn't even have that. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, I just I like it whenever the names are real. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's, yeah, like you said, it's a former uh, Soviet research station in Antarctica that was founded in, I think, was it 57? Uh Uh-huh, yep. And it's like smack, well, no, it's not smack dab in the middle of Antarctica, but it's pretty close. Everywhere is in the middle of nowhere. Well, no, I mean, like, it's like, it's almost in the center of the continent that is considered Antarctica. Mm Mm-hmm. So... So, with that in mind, let's talk about Fell Winter Peak. Yes, um, let's. This is entry 1A from archivist Tyra Khan, Karn. Um, long before the last of the Iron Lords descended into the Plaguelands, this peak was the domain of one of their own, Lord Fellwinter. His maps and outposts show the Risen Exo roamed free from the Aral Seas to the eastern border known as Satan's Ridge. Open Satan 1A, Satan's Ridge 1A. Before taking the oath, there is no evidence of human enclaves or encampments within this area, nor survivors within the Cosmodrome walls, but extensive one-way radio recordings with an unknown entity survive. Open Fellwinter 9C. Open Rasputin 62G. Scan for possible links. A chance meeting with Lord Teemer in the Mothyards led to Teemer's first reports on the promises of Siva. Fellwinter's conscription into the ranks and the raising of the Iron Temple commenced shortly thereafter. So yeah, it's like, hey, Fellwinter, you want to join our club? Well, we're going to use your clubhouse. We use your clubhouse. You can't keep your throne. (laughs) Get the beanbag chair out of here. Get that beanbag out of here. It's tacky. <laughs> it's tacky. So that's that's what is, that's what's in the box at the top of the mountain is his throne. Oh, the beanbag. It's the beanbag throne for the the exo warlord Fellwinter, the dark horse. Yeah. <laughs> so after after that we have the iron battle axe, which is the cool new the cool new weapon that we got. Um, and it actually says a relic from the days of the iron Lords, the battle axe channels energy from an external source through a series of capacitors embedded in the blade. These capacitors enhance solar light, allowing the user to trigger focused blast at their enemies. I still don't understand how Saladin held one of these in his pocket. I, it it is a little troubling, but then (laughs) uh, we are dealing, we are dealing with this slippery irrealities of light. That's very, Um, very, very good point. Very good um, point. But also I do like that they actually went and, and uh, called out that they're actual capacitors in this thing, because um, if you've ever dealt with electronics at all, like, um, Anything with kind of a time delay value in electronics is usually done with some sort of capacitor. And the way that you do that is it will actually bleed off 
it can hold a charge and they can, you can actually bleed a charge off and you can allow for, you can provide a time delay after something's happened. And that's what I think of when I'm actually holding the battle axe and that number's ticking down from 40 something. It's like 40, you know, 39, 38, 37. It's just bleeding off because it's, it's got, you know, capacitors in the blade, light capacitors, not electrical capacitors, but I think that's a pretty cool touch. I trust you. Yes. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm like, that, that's something I could probably not sound intelligent about talking. So I'm just going to, yes, you probably know more about well, it so, than I do. So you know how I feel most of the time. Yeah, now, pretty so much. I didn't say that. That's good. That was totally you saying that. But yes, I now, I now have experienced that. <laughs> oh. So having done that, um, I think we've gotten through all of the cards. We do have items. Yeah. Now, and we um, got, we got through a lot of the items cause like the memory and the new iron banner, um, I can run through the new iron banner weapons pretty quickly. Um, obviously we got a new, new set of armor, right? The iron saga. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, <clears throat> not a lot of variety as far as the quote on the armor. The head, the arm, the chest, and the legs all say, "Thus armed were the Iron Lords of old in the days after the collapse." Whereas the class item, uh, which I believe, oh no, the class item for the Iron Saga says, "The world still need the Iron Lords," and that's a quote from Saladin. And then we also have a class item called the Idols of the Iron Lords. And that quote is another Saladin quote that says, the tale of the Iron Lords is not over. Um, other than that, for armor, we have the Mango, the Mangonel Type 2, which we already talked about with Silamar. Uh, the memory artifacts, of course, which we've, we've already touched on. Uh, we do have a few new artifacts, and I think that's, the hunter artifact is Daedrus's fist, um, which is basically just a quote from Daedrus that says, I heard the Iron Lord's call. Here I am from Lady Daedrus. Uh, it looks a lot like Fist of the Eight Moons, but we're not going to talk about that because apparently that was a not acceptable artifact. Um, Bredemart's Pledge is another a stone skull it's a titan artifact and it's lady bredemart and it says i will not let you down this is what i was reborn to do and then we already talked about call events as choice which was the warlock artifact so other than that really the new equipment oh we got nine well 11 new guns that i've been able to find um and the new iron banner weapons were for, and I'm just going to, I'm going to name them off based off who they're related to. Uh, Perun has the bind, blinding blaze. Uh, she whose fire lit the iron banners path. And then we have Radagast, the branded Lord. And it's, uh, it says forged in honor of Radagast. He who saw in the flames, a kingdom of iron waiting to be forged. Again, kind of nodding back to that iron Camelot figure. Uh, and then Timur has the clever dragon, which was forged in honor of Timur, he whose spells cut deeper than any sword. 
So there's a, a nod again to Teemer and his his space magic. Ephrodite has the distant star, which was forged in honor of Ephrodite, she whose watchful eye guarded us from afar. Again, another nod to her being the the sharpshooter that she was. Gellion, you know, we already talked about Gellion's, the laughing heart, which was forged in honor of Gellion, he who taught us to cherish both the rainy days and the sunny. And then we have Scory, which is the lingering song. And it was forged in honor of Scory. See, she of sage counsel and joyful song. Um, again, the battle bard figure. Silmar was the proud spire. And that was forged in honor of Silmar, he who let his mighty deeds speak for themselves. Again, speaking towards the, the silent type that he was. The Silver Dread was Fellwinter's, and that was forged in honor of Fellwinter, he who tried to avert the doom on the horizon. And then we have Yolder, which I kind of like the name of this one, is the Titanium Orchard. Orchard, And Orchid, sorry, man. Titanium Orchid. <laughs> wow. Uh, forged in honor of Yolder, <laughs> she whose grace was surpassed only by her strength and arms. Uh, and I just, I, I love the idea of a titanium orchid because orchids are yeah. usually very attractive, like very that's, frail, like they're yeah. not really frail, but they're not, you don't think of an well, orchid as a strong tree. Yeah. That's um, my boo. <laughs> so a titanium <laughs> orchid would be, and then there's Saladin with the unbent tree and that was forged in honor of Saladin. He who bore the banner's legacy upon his shoulders, um, we do have two other weapons that I, I know of. Saladin's Vigil, which again uh, is a quote from Saladin that says, I will keep your memories alive. And then finally, Winter's End, which is kind of, I, I actually kind of like this one. This quote is, let the horns be winded, the torches kindled, the banners unfurled, the Iron Lords march again. So that's Winter's End. Um, it, re- it actually kind of reminds me a lot of the Wheel of Time book series. Uh, I just I just started reading those again. So that's <clears throat> that intro to the Wheel of Time reminds me a lot of Winter End. The quote there. Um, other than that, really, I'm trying to think what we got here. We do have a bit of. <clears throat> I'm trying to think, do we have anything else that we needed to talk about? We do We do have a few quest quotes that kind of point to the overall um, demeanor of the Iron Lords. Uh, the quest Still Among Us has a quote from Tyra that says, The Iron Lords were generous with their technology, but they were cautious too. Their data troves could only be accessed from within the Iron Temple. So basically, they put a geo lock on their information databases. Um, there was another. There was another really kind of cool quote. Uh, it's from ta- uh, t- one of the talk to Tyros. I think this was actually from the Yalahorn quest, and it says, "When the Iron Lord spoke, the wolf packs listened." So it was in the days before the Vanguard. So. Yeah, and uh, I think, I mean, that that's really kind of the update, if you were, uh, 
I'm not sure, Justin, you got anything else. Um, all I wanted to add, and I don't know if this is just a, a product of the fact that we actually have um, more living grimoire on a lot of these characters, but before all of our Iron Banner weapons were named after people, right? We have Call of Vance's Duty, Teamer's Lash, um, you know, Radagast Fury, Ephrodite Spear. Like every every Iron Banner weapon was directly talking about an Iron Lord. Whereas now it's so much more abstract. Whereas we have the the blinding blaze, the branded lord, the clever dragon, the distant star. These are all things that are that are you know going around about describing the iron lord that they're attributed to and i was just wondering blue if you thought that was a deliberate shift or if that just the natural kind of the natural movement once we move into a rise of iron space where we're actually acknowledging the existence and the timeline of a lot of these different characters i honestly don't know you're good (laughs) <laughs> you're good. You're good. I just, I can, I can, I can see what you're saying there. Um, I, I do. I, I, I really do see it. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think you, and I, uh, I kind of want to say it might be just a natural progression of the, the story arc. Um, no, I just actually, uh, noticed that today when I was prepping, um, I was like, man, this is, this is a, it's not like one or two are different. It's all of them, and it's it's a very uniform uniform shift. Mm-hmm. I don't. No, I mean, no. I think. I don't. I. I mean, I seriously, I don't. I because I can see the shift in. I don't know the 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 original weapons were such. They were so. I don't want to say negative, but they were very very aggressive you know like i mean you you had lie you had i'm trying to pull them up uh ham bella or fury spear lie fire demise revenge lash wrath you know all these rather regret like just just really really not necessarily they're not negative but they're not happy-go-lucky and then year two, mm-hmm. you kind of had a shift into kind of more of a neutral. I don't, you know, like, I don't know if neutral would be necessary, but you had like hatchet, peril, mercy, duty, flight, retort, march, you know, like stand, bellow, like, you know, that bellow one is not really fit with the other ones, but it was more of a, they started off with like these, these, like, these are the, the warriors of warriors. And then they were like, eh. But they had a good side. Like they weren't, they they weren't like really bad. And then I see what you're saying with the the current ones is you know we have yeah I don't know I I it's almost like they're it's almost like they're analogies right right yeah it's <sighs> yeah like it it we're we're saying that uh we're saying that like Silmar for example is the proud spire 
Right. It, like they, he embodied the proud spire. He built his, he built his fortress up strong and proud and he didn't mind if it got knocked over. He was proud in it and he improved it and he built another one. Right. And you know, then in the year one, Silamar was Silamar's wrath. Mm-hmm. But Which is and here, how and he it, feels after you knock over his proud yeah, spire, knock over his tower. The interesting thing there for me is I can instantly connect pride with wrath. Those are deadly sins. Uh, isn't it wrath? <sighs> no, <laughs> go away. But no, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, again, yeah. going back to that arrogance type thing. Um, but yeah, I, I totally, I, I do see what you're saying. It's just, I don't know. Like these seem, these seem much more positive, mm-hmm. I guess. Like the titanium orchid, <laughs> the silver dread. Like there's just, there's the lingering song, the laughing heart, you know, I mean, Jesus, Gellion is the laughing heart, but in year one, it was demise. Where's, where's all these Places where you see Gellion laughing. I don't see happy-go-lucky Gellion that you see. No, no, no. That's, I mean, the laughing heart is the, the I think it's the sniper yeah. rifle. But it's like, it, it really is a different, different feel. Like Teemer, Teemer's the clever dragon, but he's got a lash. Like, mm-hmm. I just, and, and we actually hear about his, him using his lash in, actually, in actually the, I just I view Teamer as having his own line of cosmetics. He's like Teamer's lash for full body lashes. It's a twelve twenty five. Okay, <laughs> but real quick, um, I know we we get asked a couple times what we think Go ahead, the Slip. subclasses the subclasses are. Um, uh, come on! Oh, come on! You know we gotta do this a little. You want to? You want to uh, rapid fire him? Rapid fire him? Uh, I think I could probably do it. Okay. Okay. Well, then I'll let you do it. You're, are you ready? Yes. I'll say. I'll say the name. Oh, you're gonna you say the name? Say- oh man, this is gonna be deadly. I'm, oh, you thought no. I was asking if you could say the no. names? No. <laughs> Go. All right. Efforty. Gunslinger. Yolder. Oh, Yolder is a striker, a sunbreaker. Perun. Uh, Blade Dancer or Night Stalker. Oh, come on. Scory. Sunsinger. Fellwinter. Uh, Voidwalker. Void, thank you. <laughs> Wait, what? I said thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if he says anything other than Void Walker, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. All right. Uh, Gellion. Oh, Gellion. Oh, either a gunslinger or a blade dancer. Okay. Radagast. Radag- oh, man. Striker or Sunbreaker as well. I'm, I'm leaning towards Sunbreaker, but. Yeah. You're so definitive in your answers. Silomar. Defender. Defender. Okay. Teamer. Stormcaller. Yep. <laughs> That's the only one <laughs> that it literally says. Well, Fellwinter. Fellwinter Fellwinter has void, but yeah, I mean Yeah, Fellwinter's got a lot of void. So and also just just for everyone looking to be pushed one way or the other on Perun, 
Perun is actually the, the Norse god of thunder and lightning. So yes, which is why the blade dancer kind of. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and then also mantle Perun kind of hints at the blade dancer, but the iron Camelot grips kind of point to Night Stalker. Mm-hmm. And Scory, Scory, I mean, she's a battle bard. Anyone who, I mean, bards sing. There's a subclass that is based around singing. It's the Sun Singer. Yeah. She, yeah, I mean, she basically says that she's going to radiance into the battle. Yeah, but we also know so- uh, songwriters are notorious for just like making the facts, facts fit into what is good for, for writing a song. I mean, she literally says, this would be a lot easier if you'd all run your names by me before you got them. <laughs> so I'm not going to discount the fact that she could be um, – Fitting the facts to be convenient. Well, to here's her rhyme scheme. Yeah, and here's the other thing mm-hmm. is like when she's when she so that entire battle plan that Scory yeah. kind of laid out. Um, you got the sense of a couple of their different uh, subclasses. Uh, Scory, for example, you hear is she's going to radiance. Uh, Yolder is going to basically Hulk smash. Uh, Fell Winter is going to use smash. Whatever. Fell Winter is going to use the Nova Bomb. You know, the random hun- the random guy that she's talking to is going to trip over his cloak. So- oh, no, I was going to say, he used eye roll. Zero damage. <laughs> so, I mean, Yolder, Yolder definitely, I, I kind of think, I'm leaning towards Yolder being a striker. But... That's just simply because she likes sprinting, and we know that she taught Fellwinter a, uh, what is it, the jumping melee, uh, shoulder charge. The, well, it was it's the it, knee, yeah, it's the knee, knee. yeah, it's it's the jumping knee. So okay, yeah, charge. I correct my answer. Yolder is a Yolder is a striker predominantly. Yolder's a striker. Yeah, Hurt says to trip Frabjulis. Frabjulisly. Kudo points Warlocks to anybody. Love. So here's here's actually before as we go into shoutouts, here's actually what I want want people to do. I meant to say this at the beginning, but I want to hear what everyone's favorite Iron Lord is that we have uh, identified. So of the what is that fifteen? So including including the year two guys, interior, including the year two Iron Lords and ladies. Send us send us an email. I want I want to hear. I genuinely want to know what you guys' favorite Iron Lord or Lady is. Uh just send it to focusfirechat at gmail.com. Um I'm gonna try I'm going to try to figure out a way to read them in the next episode. I might use it at the intro, might use it at the end, but um definitely want to get I definitely want to get some feedback from the people on this because we we obviously we have had um a lot of fun in the discord chat these last couple of days the moderators have taken have taken two on themselves to identify different mod you'll notice if you're in the discord chat that a lot of us are wearing memory tokens uh that is because we have been identified as aligning with a particular iron lord so if you're not sure what's going on yeah. with that that's what's happening um i'm gillian apparently yeah i'm I'm teamer, which I'm, I'm, how did that happen? I, you're really, really positive about things. I'm going to wear your skull. (laughs) (laughs) 
so um but yeah so that's that's what i i kind of want to i want to see what what people think about it and anybody anybody can send an email and i want to hear it like i want to hear why like don't just send me an i mean send me a name sure but i also kind of would like to hear why you know you like the iron lord or the iron lady as much as you did um and you know or if you think that whatever let's hear your thoughts on the iron lords because it's definitely the new cool thing in the lore to talk about and we really really enjoy hearing all the theories and stuff there's a lot of theories going on right now in the spinfoil lounge in discord so but before before we get out of here we do have a few shout outs um i do want to give a huge shout out and a congratulations to the loot crate winner which i just realized the last iron lord episode episode 18 was when we hit 10,000 downloads and we gave a loot crate away so it is it's kind of nice. cool that we're giving another loot crate away um, coming up on one year of doing the podcast. So that is what this loot crate was for. And that that winner was ENTC3115 from the Discord. I um, have Yay. sent I've sent you a DM on Discord. Just get me get uh, that information back to me and I'll get that on your way. Um, as far as giveaways go, we are looking to do one more. I'm working with a couple of people to get that set up. We'll get that announced out on Twitter and in Discord as soon as that goes live. Hopefully enough time before next week's podcast. But in the meantime, please, 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 please be sure to go check out the Guardian Radio Contest. They are doing a giveaway for the PlayStation 4 Rise of Iron DLC with the uh, Back in Black Yellowhorn and I think the Iron Sparrow, I'm assuming, is part of that. But... um check them out i think the requirements there is a hudless view of a customs game doing something that you normally wouldn't do in crucible don't quote me on that and check out there's their website it's the guardians of destiny.com or the guardians of d on twitter Um, or just ask bell in discord yeah and then yeah justin you want to take take your shout outs yeah, I'll take my shot. Um, Mel, feel better. Okay. Yes, Hurt, you should enter that. Um, and I want to put another call out. So Blue just wanted your your emails for favorite Iron Lord. I want to put out a similar request. Um, I'm working on something. Uh, it's top secret. But <laughs> I want you to send me uh, to our focus fire chat email um, your favorite year one focus fire chat moments. And if you could include the podcast they came from and ideally a timestamp, that'd be great. Or if you just have like kind of a vague thought of what it is, where it is, and you don't have time to, uh, to pinpoint it and you just say, Oh, when this happened or when that happened, feel free, just, just send them all in the more, the better. And even if it happened in a game stream, there's a strong chance we might have it if it was good. So, and I will take all those submissions and do something hopefully pretty cool with them. So be sure and send that in. Um, What's the email again, Blue? Uh, It is focusfirechat at gmail.com. Real quick on that. Let's, let's do this. Let's do a subject line for the iron Lords is iron, you know, obviously iron Lords or Lords Mm -hmm. of iron, whatever you want. 
Uh, let's do the subject line for Justin. Why don't we do uh, highlights? Focused or yeah, year one highlights. Year one highlights. All right, so year one highlights for the highlight submissions to Justin's e- to the email, and then for uh, the Iron Lord, your favorite Iron Lord, and just a couple sentences on why. Um, Mm-hmm. Just do Iron Lord. And then uh, that email again is focusfirechat at gmail.com. So be sure to send those in. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also, I'd like to give big shout out, a big shout out to DOD Chatter White crew. And hopefully, me and my Chatter White raid team will beat the raid this week. So, and I will be streaming that. So, without fail, hurt, without fail. So, um, <laughs> And also, big shout out to my trials team. Way to go, trials team! <laughs> you the real MVP. You got me there. <laughs> seriously, and, uh, no, seriously, they're the real MVP. Slow. You saw that. You saw that snipe, though. <laughs> Come on. So, but anyways, yeah. So great things, guys. Thank you all for showing up, and uh, big shout out to live chat. And I'm done. All right. Well, with that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend the evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusedfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback or questions concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback on iTunes or through email as well. We do try to keep to the scheduled Wednesday night streams of the chat, starting at approximately 10 p.m. Central, but if we have any variations, we always make sure to let everyone know through our Twitter account, at FocusFireChat. Also, please be sure to check out our partner podcast within the Guardian Radio Network over on the theguardiansofdestiny.com. So, until next time, focus your fire, and may your light shine bright. <laughs>